You're listening to a podcast from the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace. So, my name is Toby Dalton. I'm the Deputy Director of the Nuclear Policy Program here at the Carnegie Endowment. It's my pleasure to chair this last panel. We started the morning talking a little bit about what happened specifically at Fukushima and what some of the implications of that were for how we think about safety. Then we had two panels that looked at regulations and how they're being implemented or discussed here in the U.S. In this last panel, we'll turn to look at the future of nuclear power sort of more broadly and more globally, what some of the issues are. We have three excellent panelists. We're actually going to change the order a little bit from what you have in the program. We'll start with Mr. Takuya Hattori, who is the president of the Japan Atomic Industrial Forum. Uh, he actually worked as an engineer with TEPCO for some number of years, was in charge of design, construction, operation, and management of 17 nuclear plants over the course of his career there. We'll continue with Charles Ferguson, who's the president of the Federation of American Scientists. He'll discuss a little bit more broadly uh, nuclear power outside of Japan, but globally. Uh, he's also an adjunct professor at Georgetown University and has been a longtime uh, commentator and expert in the NGO community on these issues. And then lastly, but certainly not least, uh, we'll have Omar Brown, who's uh, an attorney and probably one of the foremost experts on the issues of liability. Uh, he's been working on uh, nuclear issues for quite some time, uh, previously served also in the U.S. Department of Energy. Uh, and so he'll, he'll conclude the formal presentation uh, with some discussion of the liability issue and how that will play out, uh, and then hopefully we can have a, a free-flowing discussion. So, Atori San, over to you. Thank you for your kind introduction. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Takuya Hattori, the president of JIFE, the Japan Atomic Industrial Forum. Uh, prior to my presentation, I'd like to uh, introduce uh, briefly about uh, JIFE. Uh, that uh, our organization established in 1956. Uh, our mission is to promote peaceful use of the nuclear energy, including the nuclear power and radiation application. Now, our counterpart in the United States is uh, NEI, a little bit different function, but is uh, almost the same as the uh, And uh, our membership has 480 uh, entities and uh, electric utility companies and reactor vendors, Toshiba, Hitachi, and Mitsubishi, and other uh, component supplier and general contractor, and uh, research institute. And very unique, this, we have the, the membership of the local government and also the some of the mass media. And... Uh, First of all, I'd like to the, uh, introduce the uh, uh, touch upon of the current state of the Fukushima uh, on site and off site uh, one year after accident. The, the plant uh, condition was stabilized at the core cooling and spent fuel cooling that was the special uh, system established. And also the uh, radioactive effluent management is established based on the uh, 
radioactive uh, water treatment system was established. And also the, the control of radioactive uh, material to the environment is uh, drastically uh, reduced. For example, the, in case of Unit 1, the, the building cover was uh, installed. And also the restoration program was uh, progressed. The, the contamination of land and uh, the evacuation area lifted up uh, step, step by step. And already the one uh, village, one town, the mayor declared the plan to return. And uh, the people uh, coming back to their home is very, very limited. But uh, they have already decided. They, are, they open, reopen their town office. The name that uh, named was Hirono, uh, Hirono town. That's uh, just uh, south of Fukushima Daini uh, nuclear power station. And also the off-site decontamination is uh, that was proposed. Uh, decontamination is uh, the test uh, uh, project is uh, after the uh, the, uh, the test project finished. Based on that experience, the widespreading such a uh, uh, process was uh, uh, spreading, and the environmental minister has uh, ministry has uh, compiled a two-year plan to implement decontamination for areas uh, such with uh, radiation levels up to 50 uh, millisievert per year, and also the mid- and long-term roadmap for decommissioning as that was decided and uh, open to the public. That the first phase is uh, within two years fuel uh, removal from the spent fuel pool. The total was 2,724 bundles are in the contained uh, in the unit 1, 2, 3, 4, the spent fuel pool. And the second phase is within 10 years removal of fuel debris. That is most challenging for task force, I think. And third phase is after 30 to 40 years, a complete demolition of the reactor facilities. It's uh, very challenging for the long, long term. The, considering this, uh, these four areas, mostly the good progress, but is the biggest issue, the two big issues. One is uh, when the people can coming back their home. It's very difficult task. And uh, even the, uh, the finishing the decontamination without job creation, jobs or uh, employment is, is very, very difficult for them to coming back their home. The another issue is how to uh, storage uh, the radioactive waste uh, that was generated uh, during the process of decontamination. The huge amount of, now the current estimation is about 28 million cubic meters, uh, the mad's worth. That was a huge amount. The next is uh, the cause of the accident, and I think this. Uh, the cause of the accident might not be simple, and many factors are uh, influenced uh, over many problems. The government special investigation committee and the uh, independent diet 
Investigation Committee have been evaluating the accident since last year, and final report will be issued in this summer. And this is my personal view. The first is, uh, I think, this uh, lack of imagination. The, as discussed in the early session, um, this morning session, that uh, tsunami height is, uh, in the case of the Fukushima Daiichi, based on 1960 Chile tsunami. I was in, when I was in TEPCO, I was superintendent and from 2000 to 2002, uh, I was a super station manager, a director and station manager. But I never thinking about this, uh, that the, the ground level is enough or four meters for the installation of the seawater pump level, if that was uh, enough for prevent for the severe accident, such kind of thinking is never thinking in, in my mind. And the uh, prolonged station uh, blackout in the regulations is uh, 30 minutes, that enough for, in case of Japan. That is uh, because of the Japanese network is very, very tough and very, uh, it's uh, not necessary to longer. And also the, uh, Considering that is uh, that might be the institutional failure or defect, and also the not inevitable result of the nuclear power technology itself, but the inevitable result of the management system, the institutional or management system that was uh, the Japanese nuclear community, including the regulatory body, utility company, reactor vendors and academia, all the people who are engaged on the nuclear community is not well, uh, does not well imagine the, the very rare event, rare event, never happened such a situation. And we never thinking about the March event at the, at the simultaneously damaged by, by tsunami. And I don't think that we have become on compression, but we have been uh, caught in a trap uh, to consider that to follow the regulation, to follow the regulation strictly, that is a phenomenon to enhance safety. And might forget, for, might have forgotten to be or uh, to keep a questioning attitude. Is that enough? Or that is the basis of the safety culture. And this is also the lesson learned. That's my personal view. That now, as I mentioned, this, uh, now is uh, uh, official investigation committees going, and the official report will, will be finalized in this summer. And uh, I, I, I think this uh, four lesson learned or uh, four area uh, uh, which have been in, insufficient or uh, not well considered or prepared. And the first is the robustness of design. That is, uh, for example, the design margin and diversity of the system. 
and countermeasure for beyond design basis event and balance between prevention and mitigation. That, that means this uh, Japanese system may have the so-called cliffage. And in, some, in the area of the regulatory requirement, it's very tough. But beyond this, it's a very, very uh, vulnerable system. M might be very vulnerable. And also the emergency preparedness is not enough. And how I, I asked to myself this, how to prepare the emergency situation with reality, with reality. That is very important. We, we had been this, uh, uh, repeated several times about drill, but that is based on the predetermined scenario. Every people who, who are involved is uh, based on the scenario. They do very well. But over the scenarios, we never thinking about. That is a basic uh, uh, defects. Or, and next is uh, different is uh, information release. I think this, uh, many of the people uh, who attend here is uh, very, very frustrated in the early phase of the accident. Very little information is released from, from Japan. Japanese government, Japanese uh, regulatory body, and also the, from TEPCO. And we do, we jive or do our best. I, I think this, uh, many people access our jive website, and we devise three times a day in the early phase in, in English. But, but in, the, in the Japanese website, is, uh, mostly is uh, Japanese. It's very, it's very difficult for you to understand. And uh, many, many uh, confusion and uh, doubt, or finally distrust, is Japan is not transparent. But we do our best. But, it's, but the early phase is very confused. Three sources of information. One is government. One is uh, regulatory body, NISA. One is TEPCO. Three sometimes are inconsistent. And we, I myself have the experience in working in TEPCO and saw this. This is uh, this so and so and packing in one paper. And so this, uh, I, we, we do our best. Anyways, uh, it's very uh, difficult for you to understand what's, what's going on. And lastly, the safety culture is the most, most important. And as I mentioned before, the imagination for extreme, extremely rare event, natural hazard, especially tsunami. And I call this a lack of imagination. This is I, I, I mentioned before. And uh, lastly, what's the implications of the um, of Fukushima, after Fukushima? The most serious problem is we lost the public trust, especially in Japan. All the people who are in charge of the nuclear, the named title the nuclear, no one uh, understand what we say, what we mention. And the opinion poll by the major mass media uh, in Japan, 
about 90, oh no, about 70 people do not support uh, nuclear, nuclear power, nuclear power development. And the government, government of the uh, former prime minister and current prime minister also mentioned the basic policy is decrease the dependence on the nuclear power, decrease the dependence on nuclear power. But how much, until when, that's not clear. And uh, that was uh, now under discussion in the Japanese uh, special committee. Three committees parallelly discussing and very, very complicated. I can't understand what, what's the final uh, conclusion. The someone has keep the 30%. Now is we depend on the 30% on nuclear in Japan to keep 30%. Before the uh, Fukushima, we are increasing 2030 to increase the dependence on the 50%. From 30 to 50, that uh, figure is impossible, impossible after Fukushima. And can we keep the current level? But the government, the prime minister, already declared decrease the dependence. To what extent? That is not clear. So that 20% or 10% or zero. That is uh, zero is uh, logically possible, but is uh, actually practically that was impossible. And so 10, 20, 30, it's, uh, I don't know which level. Anyway, it's uh, now uh, uh, under discussion. But the next is unchanging the party, the role of nuclear power. Looking in the world, the uh, energy uh, demand will increase about to 1.4 uh, times of the current level until 2030 or such a number. And for electricity, it's 1.7 times or such a number. Much more depend on the electricity. And uh, most of the country, except Germany, Italy, Switzerland, and Belgium, they still continue, even after the Fukushima, continue to the development of nuclear power, that because of the, to secure the energy supply and also the, to confront the climate change. And especially in, the, in India, in China, and Russia, and other countries, Vietnam, and many, many countries are intending to develop the nuclear power. That trend is uh, no change, no change. And enhancement of safety and security, that's a very, very important issue. And we will, we will now discussing the, in the morning session that, that was discussed. And the important thing, thoroughly investigate the accident and uh, the root cause, what's the root cause, and lesson learned. How can we uh, uh, learn from lesson learned and share that such kind of thing with uh, the with, uh, world nuclear community to share the lesson learned? And how can we enhance the safety? That is the most important issue. And so this, based on that is... Uh, Reinforce the international, international cooperation is a very, very important issue. The one, is, one of the examples is enhanced safety that, discussed, that was discussed in the IAEA about uh, uh, 
enhanced or what level should we uh, keep in the generation three, generation three plus or reactors and safety standard, how can we uh, reach the conclusion? That, is, uh, that might be this, uh, one of the issues. And the peer review and the stress test and many, many things we are now. And emergency preparedness also, this uh, for one, one was a proposal from, the, from France on Japanese uh, uh, regulatory body also considering the rescue team, international rescue team, a regional rescue team to prepare some of the component robotics or uh, calculation, uh, analysis of the after the accident or so. And also the uh, research and development areas also, as I mentioned this, uh, to taking out the debris field, that is very difficult task. And so this area might be one of the area to be internationally uh, working together and the nuclear liability regime, that is also the, uh, Mr. Brown is uh, he's a specialist on this area. And uh, as I mentioned in the newcomers is still uh, considering to develop the nuclear power plant at that time, how can we support their program and uh, with uh, safer reactor technology? And so this, uh, we have to learn from the Fukushima accident and to feedback to that uh, lesson learned to the, for the future development, especially in the area of the safety enhancement. That's my uh, conclusion. And never, never again anywhere in the world. And uh, please access our website. Uh, the latest information is uh, every time uh, on, on that floor. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Hattori. Uh, Charles? had assistance from my very capable former student, Madeline Foley. Thank you, Madeline. And thank you, Toby, for uh, chairing this panel. And I want to thank James Acton for inviting me to be on this panel. And uh, I'm sorry I didn't catch most of the morning session, but what I've seen when I came in was uh, excellent. And so I want to thank the Carnegie Endowment. And I want to second James's remarks at the end of that last panel about uh, this is not unique but it is a hallmark of U.S. civil society. And I think um, one of the lessons coming out of the Fukushima accident, and I think Mr. Hattori was pointing to this, is the question of how do you build back public trust. So I was asked to talk about the uh, potential implications for the future. And I'm reminded of the famous, I think famous, saying by Joe and Lai, and I know most of you know who Joe Enlai is. I hope you do. But in case you don't, he was a premier or a China during a, the Chairman Mao's reign. And I think it was about 40 years ago, Joe Enlai was asked, so 
what do you think of the French Revolution? He said, too soon to tell. Well, I hope we don't have to wait 200 years to figure out what are the implications and consequences of this accident for the world uh, nuclear situation. We're barely a year away, and I think there are a lot of lessons learned, as we just heard from Mr. Hattori. So what I'll do is I will try to be uh, as fairly brief, just do a round-the-world tour. Here's my outline. You can read that for yourself. So first I want to show you a snapshot of where nuclear power is today. I will, uh, please excuse me if you've seen this earlier in the morning. But I want to emphasize that despite the huge potential for nuclear power to do a lot for the world's electricity supplies, it's still a niche technology. And uh, I'm not saying, you know, good or bad, but that's the reality. So we're now down to about 13% of global electricity generation from nuclear and of total energy use. So you look at transportation and, and heating and other sorts, uh, types of energy uses, nuclear is only about 6% of total global primary energy use. So I think it's clear it's still a niche technology. Coal, natural gas, fossil fuels still are the predominant uh, fuel sources for generating electricity. There are over 190 countries in the world, and a relatively small fraction of them, about 30, actually have commercial nuclear plants. But if you look at those countries in terms of world population, that's still more than half the world's population lives in a country in which there's at least one or more uh, nuclear power plants. Right now, we have most of the Japanese commercial reactors that are shut down, not operating. And there are only, I think, two or three currently operating, is my understanding. And there are some 54 total reactors. So uh, within a month, we may get down to none, none of the reactors operating. So that's a, a major problem, as Mr. Tori was saying. If you look at the fuel supply situation in the world, only 11 countries actually have commercial uranium enrichment plants of one size or another, and Japan is one of them. And Japan is a net select group of countries that have a commercial uh, spent fuel reprocessing facility to allow them to reuse plutonium and mixed oxide fuels. So I'll say a little bit about that toward the end of my talk. And it's important to point out that no country has, has opened a permanent geologic repository for nuclear waste. And uh, Sweden, Finland may be close, but still years away before they actually put the nuclear waste in the facility. A few years ago, I was asked to uh, write a short piece for Foreign Policy magazine. At that time, was, I think, published by the Carnegie Endowment, and now owned by the Washington Post. In that piece, I did a calculation and to calculate how uh, rapidly one would have to connect a large nuclear reactor to the electrical grid to be able to reduce global carbon emissions. And so you see it there to the right, you could easily convince yourself if you want to displace coal plants that you need on the order of about 1,000, 1,000 megawatt-sized reactors to be built between now and mid-century to have a one-seventh, only a one-seventh reduction in projected 
uh, greenhouse gas emissions. And so to do that, you'd have to install, hook up one of these reactors every 14 days, every two weeks to the grid. Now, it's not impossible that it actually has occurred in the 1980s. And I think one of the uh, implications of the Fukushima accident is, you know, can we you know, get back to that rate of build? Maybe. A lot will depend on policies and building up public confidence. But I just want to, to put out that goal before you. We'd have to replicate the build rate in the 1980s over the next uh, four decades or so. It's interesting to look at what reactors are currently under construction. Last year, the IEA listed a little bit more than 60 reactors listed as under construction. Sounds pretty ambitious. But if you look historically, it's actually a pretty modest number on an annual basis under construction. And if you dig a little further and you look at how many of those have been listed under construction for how long, you'll see that at least a dozen of those have been listed under construction for more than 20 years. There's some in the United States, some in Russia in particular that stand out, uh, that kind of these, these dinosaur plants that who knows if they'll be completed. Now, the good news for the industry is that about three-quarters of those under-construction reactors are fairly new, and they're located in about four countries, China, South Korea, India, and Russia. And the common factor, I would argue, all four countries, is you have very strong government support for nuclear power in terms of government control of the commanding heights in terms of electricity generation. Just to remind you, there are, I would say, at least three main barriers to building new nuclear plants, and Fukushima hasn't changed that. You have the high cost, especially for these large reactors, anywhere from 5 to $9 billion, especially here in the United States. A lot of that is due to financing charges, the financial risk premium. Because of the long lead time for con construction, uh, the, you know, the regulatory uncertainty, a lot of factors go into driving up that financial risk. And you need a lot of qualified personnel to be able to build these plants and on the order of 2,000 or more. And then once the plant's built, you need several hundred to actually uh, operate the plant safely. Well, it's not uh, a news flash to know that natural gas is going like gangbusters, especially in the United States. In my home state of Pennsylvania, especially with Marcellus Shale and the deployment of the hydraulic fracturing technologies, be able to free up huge supplies of cheap natural gas. President Obama, in his State of the Union address this year, highlighted the issue of cheap natural gas, and he said this is a relatively clean fuel that America should develop. And it's making nuclear power look pretty uh, uh, cost uncompetitive. There's a lot of other things that go into whether nuclear power is going to be favored or not in a country. The ability to streamline regulations, uh, the offering various incentives or subsidies, loan guarantees, tax credits, other types of incentives, and possibly carbon pricing in the future, whether it's a carbon tax, I know that's a dreaded word, uh, I shouldn't have said that, I, I, I swore, uh, or a fee or some kind of cap-and-trade system. But it seems like a political bridge too far right now, especially in the United States. It's important to keep in mind when you look at capital cost versus fuel cost that there's an inverse relationship. The capital cost for coal and natural gas plants tend to be pretty cheap compared to nuclear, 
And the fuel costs traditionally have been relatively high for coal and natural gas and low for nuclear. But with the shale gas uh, now entering the, have entering the picture in the last few years, natural gas prices have gone very low. That may not last for the future, but it certainly appears that way for now. It's interesting that five days before the uh, Fukushima Daiichi accident, I was in a, out in the audience, like many of you, and I'm listening to John Rowe, who's the CEO of Exelon, talk about the issue of nuclear power and, and fuel supplies for generating electricity. And those of you who know Mr. Rowe know that he's very bullish on nuclear power. His company, Exelon, has the most commercial nuclear reactors in the United States. But he said the reality is natural gas is queen. And ironically, he titled his presentation, First Do No Harm. Of course, he had no way of knowing, and I don't know if he had no way of knowing, that five days from his speech there was going to be this major uh, natural disaster and then leading to those accidents. So what I want to do now is just to do a quick round-the-world tour of a few countries and uh, just make some closing remarks and I'll sit down. What we saw after the Fukushima accident was there was a pendulum swing, as Mr. Hortori said, in Japan from about 70% of the populace strongly in favor of nuclear power to within weeks afterwards, 70% against nuclear power. And really, no other country in the world that we see such a dramatic pendulum swing. What we saw was in countries where people were already anti-nuclear, they became more so. In countries where people were in favor of nuclear power, the support went down, but there was still generally uh, at least slight majority support in almost all of those countries. But it still led to some major uh, developments in terms of nuclear power policy. So I'm going to look at uh, some of those countries you see listed there. China. Everyone, everyone's eyes are on China. What's, uh, as China goes, so goes the developing world or the rest of the world. I remember in uh, 2009, I was fortunate to be at an interministerial meeting in Beijing, April 2009. And within that two-day meeting, the Chinese government kept upping the ante, built more and more nuclear power plants. You know, not, we're not building 60 by 2030, but 80 and then 100, and then, you know, the sky's the limit. And it looked very bright for them in terms of their nuclear power future. But post-Fukushima, I would say a very positive sign is that some courageous officials in Beijing said we need to at least have a temporary halt the construction because they saw that there was a safety gap that had developed. They were building too fast and didn't have enough trained personnel to make sure that they could run the reactors safely. So last year, they didn't order any new plants, although they were laying the groundwork for new orders, but they had that, that hiatus to make sure that they can do things in a safe manner. Uh, I'm not saying that I'm necessarily convinced, but I, I, we're hearing the right things from the government by and large. And in fact, just a few days ago, the government in, in Beijing issued a work report, and they said they are supporting uh, safely and effectively uh, to develop nuclear power. And so this apparently is the first time they had that type of commitment in one of their government work reports. And in last month, they launched a series of research and development projects to improve emergency response in case of extreme natural disasters. So I would argue those are good signs. 
Now, flipping around the world to Europe, we have uh, kind of a Dickensian story of tale of two countries, France versus Germany. You know, France traditionally has been very supportive of nuclear power. Yes, there have been dissents. It's not monolithic in terms of their cultural view. There are anti-nuclear protesters there. But going back to the 1970s, when they faced the Arab oil embargo, and they realized that they had very little choice because they didn't have abundant supplies of coal, gas, or oil, they felt that nuclear was the choice open to them. And they uh, developed it um, very fully. And so now almost 80% of electricity comes from nuclear. One could argue that that's too much, that if you look at their nuclear plants, often uh, some of them are run in a load following mode, not at the kind of full capacity mode where you would want to operate a nuclear power plant. So I would say probably 80% from nuclear power is too much. You know, this maybe will play into Japan's scale, as Mr. Tori mentioned. How do you figure out what's the right amount in your portfolio? A lot of factors go into play. In Germany, we saw that the public felt, here we go again, it was deja vu. They were strongly against what happened in Chernobyl in 1986. There was contamination in uh, parts of Germany, especially in Bavaria, and the German public uh, since then had been anti-nuclear. And in 1998, there was uh, a law passed to phase out nuclear power to at least allow the operating nuclear power plants to continue but not to build new plants. And they were going to actually shut down many of these plants before their nominal 40-year end of life. Well, uh, Angela Merkel uh, came to power as the chancellor. She's trained as a physicist like myself. So personally, she was in favor of at least continuing nuclear power beyond that, uh, that date that had been set in the 1998 law. So she had reversed that position to an extent in 2010. But after the Fukushima accident, she realized she had to reverse her reversal and uh, ordered the uh, shutdown of these reactors and that all the reactors in Germany will be shut down within the next uh, 10 years. And in April, uh, her government unveiled a six-point plan involving uh, more use of renewable power. They've already invested very heavily in nuclear po- uh, renewable power, excuse me, and probably more use of natural gas and greater use of energy efficiency and more resources in developing a smart grid. It may work. I've heard talks by a number of German colleagues. Uh, we'll, we'll see how this plan develops. It could have major implications for the rest of the world. Other places where we saw negative uh, reactions, uh, Switzerland. Switzerland was a country where there was very uh, weak support for nuclear power prior to the accident. I think the support was 51%, 52% of the public, and that went negative after the accident. The Swiss government decided not to build any new nuclear power plants and to phase out nuclear power by 2030. Italy, where then-Prime Minister uh, Silvio Berlusconi was very pro-nuclear and was trying to get the public behind Uh, rebuilding nuclear power plants in Italy. He had a referendum in June last year. It was very negative. I think it was on the order of 94% of the public was against new nuclear power plants. Going back to Asia, poor Philippines. They had gotten very close to operating a nuclear power plant at Bataan. In 1986, they were just receiving fresh uranium fuel 
from the United States to load up in that reactor, and the Chernobyl accident happened. So they called a halt, halt to it, and they were just ready to get the reactor started up again uh, last year, and then Fukushima accident happened. So what are they going to do with that site? It's turned into a tourist destination. They're actually now, according to the New York Times, they're making money from the Bataan nuclear power plant site, not by generating electricity, but opening up the tours, because it's the one place in the world where you can safely go around and re- reactor core, because it's never been operated. You can see an entire nuclear plant actual size. Uh, <laughs> Thailand, uh, they apparently are, are seeking advice from Germany. I, I read the other day that a Thai delegation was in Germany uh, asking them about their plan to phase out nuclear power. And Malaysia is also apparently reconsidering. Well, I don't want to have the news all gloomy. As Mr. Artori said, there are some places where countries are moving ahead with more nuclear power. South Korea in particular really stands out. And one of the lessons they learned is they needed to have a strong independent regulatory agency and they've reorganized their regulatory uh, agency so the uh, commission reports directly to the uh, president of Korea. They're also seeking to capture at least 20% of the export market. I don't think they've backed away from that. And uh, as you know, KEPCO is building four reactors in the United Arab Emirates, be the first reactors, uh, op- commercial reactors operating in the Arab world. Jordan is also trying to move ahead with its plans for nuclear power development, but that country it doesn't have the wealth of the UAE, so they need financing. So uh, Qatari Bank has uh, rep- reportedly offered some assistance to Jordan, and they might have some kind of uh, ownership sharing arrangement. The uh, uh, companies and countries that have uh, offered uh, to build reactors in Jordan they're also looking at some kind of cost-sharing, ownership-sharing model. So there, there's uh, incentives on both sides. Jordan, as uh, many of you may know, uh, discovered a lot of uranium recently. So one of the issues, and I know this is not a, a non-proliferation conference per se, but one thing I'll briefly flag is the issue of these, what's called, some will call the gold standard of the 123 nuclear cooperation agreements. The UAE, when they, it formed its 123, one-three agreement with the United States said it would refrain from doing enrichment and reprocessing as long as it had uh, guaranteed supplies of reactor technologies and fuel. That has been held up by non-proliferation analysts as a gold standard. The Obama administration is backing away from that, saying it wants to handle this on a case-by-case basis, mostly because Jordan and Vietnam and I think even Saudi Arabia are saying we don't particularly want that kind of deal. Jordan says they don't want to enrich uranium now, but maybe 10 to 20 years from now, they may want to add value to the natural uranium in their country. And speaking of Vietnam, it's not deterred from moving forward, and it's looking at deals with Russian, Japanese, and Korean companies. I won't, uh, since time is short, I won't say anything about this. I'll skip this slide. Uh, Mr. Torrey did a great job looking at what's happening in Japan. One issue I don't recall him raising, and I just want to call a little bit of attention to it now, especially because it has implications for nonproliferation, one of my main fields of interest, is the use of plutonium 
in fuels, especially what's called MOX or mixed oxide fuel. I've been to the Rokasha facility in Japan. Uh, it's uh, in a lot of ways very impressive. It's still kind of stuck. It, it's still not operating commercially. And Japan has invested a lot of money into this plutonium recycling program, somewhere in the order of $28 billion. There's a big question mark as to whether that's going to move forward or not. So uh, what's going to happen with the massive stockpiles of Japanese-separated uh, plutonium? There are something on the order of 45 metric tons. Most of it, I believe, is stored outside of Japan, but still it's, it's uh, material that has to have a, a disposal pathway and responsible means of making sure it's, it's uh, securely taken care of. So that's just something that we need to keep in mind, especially here in the United States, when we're planning to dispose of uh, 34 metric tons of weapons-grade plutonium by using MOX. Will that policy change in light of Fukushima? So um, before Toby yanks me off the stage here, let me just briefly flash some recommendations here in just a few areas. First, safety. So as I mentioned, we really do need strong independent regulatory agencies. As Mr. Hattori said, there's the issue of the safety culture that has to be instilled from the top to the bottom or bottom to the top of a nuclear plant. And we need to make sure we're putting in place as quickly as possible the safety retrofits where needed, and perhaps even phasing out the oldest plants, especially some of the boiling water reactor Mark I's. And I totally agree with him. We need more international cooperation. Education, I'm also going to mirror a lot of what he said, is that we need to be much more transparent with the public, better inform them. And we also need to inform and educate the political leadership. We don't want to hide uh, the bad news. In terms of economics, uh, this is not necessarily a Fukushima issue, but this, I think this is worth paying attention to in terms of the future of nuclear power. We need to figure out what are the external costs of ener any energy source, whether it's greenhouse gas emissions, pollution, security, etc., and as best we can factor those costs into the internal price so that energy uh, can, the various energy sources can compete on an even economic playing field. In terms of waste disposal, this is also not necessarily a Fukushima issue, but since we recently had the Blue Ribbon Commission uh, recommendations published, I think it's important to uh, figure out how can we have international cooperation on proliferation-resistant means of recycling fissionable materials. Is that possible? How can, it, how can we you know, do that in a responsible way? We need to continue R&D into fast reactor technologies, although I know it, they have significant hurdles commercially and they've had a very spotty safety record. I also will um, highlight something from the last panel in terms of moving forward with interim spent fuel storage using dry storage casks. I'm all for that. And we need to also move forward in parallel with developing permanent repositories. With that, I thank you for your attention. And uh, here's a shameless plug for my book that came out last year. It has a little bit of coverage on Fukushima. Thank you. Thanks, Charles. nice to know that if we're not necessarily exporting so many nuclear reactors, we're at least exporting the Simpsons to Germany and other countries. Um, perhaps Omer now will tell us a little bit more about why liability is an issue uh, for the future of nuclear power here for exports and around the world. 
Thank you, Toby. I suppose it's appropriate for me to be the last speaker since I'm going to talk about who gets the bill. Uh, <clears throat> having, uh, having worked on the, the legal consequences following the 1979 uh, Three Mile Island uh, accident and the 1986 Chernobyl uh, accident, I had not expected to be involved in a third major uh, nuclear power plant accident. Uh, since the advent of uh, civilian nuclear power after President Eisenhower's 1954 Adams for Peace speech at the United Nations, the issue of liability and compensation for potential uh, nuclear damage has been addressed by various legal instruments that generally incorporate the same uh, liability principles. However, unfortunately, there's still not a global regime for compensation following a nuclear accident. And failure to improve the global liability regime, I think, will make it more difficult to ensure that the public would be compensated in the event of another serious nuclear accident. This could have significant implications for the future of nuclear power, uh, particularly if there are transboundary uh, damages uh, in a future accident. The main differences between TMI and Fukushima are that TMI's uh, off-site third-party damages were relatively small, only about $71 million, and were fully insured. The on-site and off-site damage amounts at Fukushima are much greater, and TEPCO's uh, liability coverage uh, was quickly uh, exhausted. At TMI, it was the on-site damage that brought uh, the utility GPU to the brink of bankruptcy. When the accident occurred, GPU had only $300 million of nuclear property insurance, but by 1981, the cleanup was projected to cost about a billion dollars. Uh, Governor Thornburg of Pennsylvania proposed financing the, the cleanup through a 50-50 split of national and local resources, and the, uh, uh, which was the way it was financed. And NRC uh, changed its regulations to require that all nuclear power plant operators maintain at least $1.06 billion of property insurance uh, payable first for stabilization and decontamination. No other country has such a property insurance requirement. Contrasted with TMI, the 1986 Chernobyl accident resulted in much more significant on-site and uh, transboundary damages uh, to which the Soviet Union did not respond. Unlike uh, Chernobyl, uh, Fuku Fukushima's consequences have been largely confined uh, within Japan. Uh, Chernobyl eventually resulted in uh, more countries joining the IAEA's 1963 Vienna Convention and the IAEA concluding the 1988 Joint Protocol to unite the Vienna Convention and the Regional Paris Convention and updating uh, the Vienna Convention in 1997. At the initiative of the United States, the IAEA in 1997 also adopted the Convention on Supplementary Compensation for Nuclear Damage, the so-called uh, CSC, which is the IAEA's uh, unified global nuclear liability regime that any state can join if it's a party to the Vienna Convention or the Paris Convention or has a domestic law that's consistent with the CSC Annex. The United States ratified the CSC in 2008. Uh, 
after the collapse of the Soviet Union, Ukraine did not have the financial resources to remediate the Chernobyl site, and this has been financed largely by international contributions under the Chernobyl Shelter Fund, which had provided uh, uh, over 990 million euros to enclose the sarcophagus by the end of 2010. Uh, Since Chernobyl, states have been encouraged to join the updated nuclear liability conventions, but the global statistics, unfortunately, are not very impressive. Of the world's 434 operable nuclear reactors, less than half are now covered by a nuclear liability convention. 58 are covered by the, uh, the joint protocol linking the Paris and Vienna conventions. The Paris convention covers only 116 reactors, The Vienna Convention covers only 73. The joint protocol uh, uh, has not been ratified by Belgium, France, Spain, or the United Kingdom because uh, basically those countries don't want to be in treaty relations with Vienna Convention countries that have much lower liability limits. Uh, The the CSC uh, will enter into force if it's ratified by Japan or by Canada and South Korea, and then the CSC would immediately uh, cover uh, at least 159 uh, reactors. Compensation uh, for Fukushima has resulted in mixed consequences. Uh, While Japan is not yet a party to any nuclear liability convention, the Japanese legislation adopted in the early 1960s generally incorporates the basic principles of the conventions, including the channeling of all liability exclusively to the nuclear installation operator, uh, a strict liability regime so that negligence doesn't have to be shown, and a requirement that the operator provide financial security to cover its liability. The Japanese compensation law uh, requires each uh, operator to maintain 120 billion yen, or about $1.47 billion of insurance uh, for third-party liability, but that insurance does not cover earthquakes or tsunamis. Earthquakes or tsunamis are covered uh, under an indemnity agreement with the Japanese government in an amount equal to the insurance. Uh, And above that, uh, the operator in Japan has unlimited uh, liability. Uh, but unlimited liability doesn't mean unlimited resources to pay claims, and TEPCO did not have sufficient uh, resources to cover the amount of uh, Fukushima damages. So last August, the Japanese Diet created the uh, Nuclear Damage Compensation Facilitation Corporation, uh, and it is funding the, uh, the uh, compensation amounts with public money Uh, in amounts, interestingly, uh, about the same as the diet provided uh, to bail out the Japanese banks from from, uh, bankruptcy a couple of years ago, uh, plus uh, contributions from the nuclear power operators. As of mid-February, about uh, $19 billion had been provided to TEPCO, uh, and the total compensation amounts were projected to be Uh, in the neighborhood of $55 billion. Uh, The Japanese media are reporting today that a lawsuit 
uh, was filed in Tokyo on Monday by a group of TEPCO shareholders that is, uh, are seeking to recover uh, $67 billion uh, for what it projects will be the, the payout by, uh, by TEPCO for Fukushima. Uh, the handling uh, uh, of the compensation claims uh, has not been proceeding very well. Uh, for example, in uh, November, uh, TEPCO simplified its compensation application form by reducing it from 60 pages to 34 pages and uh, reducing the number of items that had to be completed from 2,115 to 1,005. Um, the uh, dispute resolution committee is trying to settle some of the claims and last month issued new guidelines uh, for, uh, for relief measures but these are still controversial, and payments have been very slow. Uh, it's been mentioned that only two of uh, Japan's 51 uh, reactors are still in operation. Japan is now considering whether to change its policy of promoting nuclear power as a national project in which the operators are entrusted, uh, operation is entrusted to private uh, sector electric companies as they are in the United States, uh, to, uh, to uh, a government-owned uh, entity. Uh, it's interesting to note that in other countries uh, that uh, Charles mentioned that are, that are still developing nuclear power, such as China, Russia, and South Korea, the nuclear power generation is under government control. Uh, and government ownership can be expected to remain an important factor in whether uh, there is further nuclear power development. In September, uh, the IAEA adopted its action plan on nuclear safety, which calls on member states to work toward establishing a global nuclear liability regime that addresses the concerns of all states that might be affected by a nuclear accident with a view to providing appropriate compensation for nuclear damage. Uh, member states are being called upon to give due consideration to the possibility of joining uh, the international nuclear liability instruments as a step toward achieving a global regime. The U.S. government uh, has been actively supporting uh, the Convention on Supplementary Compensation for Nuclear Damage uh, by other states, uh, including Japan, Canada, India, South Korea, and China. Uh, for example, uh, Secretary of Energy Chu specifically called for CSC adoption in his official statement at the IAEA General Conference in September. Uh, he said, in, in short, the time has come to, to adopt the CSC. But unfortunately, in sharp contrast, the official statement by the French uh, minister, uh, Besson, the head of the French government delegation, said France would like to work toward a universal implementation of a system uh, that was based only on the Vienna Convention and the Paris Convention and the so-called joint protocol linking the two. In other words, France is calling on the adoption of a so-called universal nuclear liability system that would specifically exclude the United States and our 104 reactors from the system, uh, since France knows very well that the United States is not eligible to join the Paris Convention or the Vienna Convention or the Joint Protocol, and France itself has not even ratified the Joint Protocol. 
And uh, when the, the new uh, 2004 Paris Convention enters into force, if it ever does, uh, Japan is plan- uh, France is planning to uh, uh, issue a, a declaration at the time that would uh, require reciprocity on the part of Vienna Convention states so that the amount of compensation that France would pay in the event of an accident could be as low as $5 million U.S. million if the Vienna Convention state in which it were in tree relations had that low liability limit. Um, on the table outside, there are copies of the, uh, the Carnegie-initiated uh, nuclear power plant exporters' principles of conduct, uh, which includes a, a principle on uh, nuclear uh, compensation for nuclear damage that, uh, that I worked on uh, as, as uh, one of the, uh, the experts involved in, in the development of the, uh, the principles of conduct. That provides that before entering into a, a contract to supply a nuclear power plant to a new customer state, vendors will have made a reasonable judgment that the customer state has or will have before fuel is delivered uh, in the customer's territory enacted a a nuclear liability uh, regime that contains uh, adequate liability limits and financial protection consistent with international standards or has created a treaty relation uh, under the, uh, the Vienna Convention or the Paris Convention or ideally under the IAEA's uh, CSC, which the principles of conduct note is the IAEA's unified uh, global nuclear liability regime that any state can join if it's a party to Paris, uh, Vienna, or has a domestic law consistent with with the CSC. The principles note that such action uh, would enable global treaty relations crucial to assure worldwide compensation and liability protection during plant operation and transport. Uh, Adoption of an international regime for nuclear liability would better ensure prompt compensation by facilitating the bringing of claims, uh, the enforcement of judgments, and without the uh, hindrance uh, uh, that might be provided by uh, domestic systems. Uh, treaties present many example, uh, many advantages, such as a single court to hear all claims, protection of the public, and greater certainty about what law would apply. And treaty relations would better enable countries to utilize the services and technology available worldwide, uh, which would increase competition for nuclear work. Uh, Japan and other states are being encouraged to join the CSC before it's ever needed, Uh, And it would send a beneficial message if Japan could complete CSC ratification before the December 15th to 17th Fukushima Ministerial Conference on Nuclear Safety that's being sponsored by the government of Japan and the IAEA uh, at Fukushima. Uh, That's a a quick overview of of, uh, the nuclear liability system and and, uh, who might pay the bill for a future uh, accident. And I guess the time has now come for us to, uh, to try to answer your questions. I appreciate uh, Carnegie uh, inviting me to participate today. Thank you. Well, thank you, Omer. That was uh, a little bit depressing, I have to say. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, 
Sorry to hear, but uh, we've heard three different sort of cuts at this issue of, of the future of nuclear power in Japan a little bit more globally and, and some of the thorny financial legal, uh, financial legal issues that underpin uh, nuclear commerce. I'd open it up at this point. We have uh, some time for questions and comments, uh, and uh, hope we can entertain some. So uh, we have mics. So we'll take the one in the middle here. Thank you. Uh, my question is uh, for, for Mr. Hattori. Can you uh, identify yourself, please? Oh, oh, sorry. I'm sorry. Stephen Dolly with Platts. And my question is for Mr. M Mr. Hattori. The uh, U.S. nuclear power industry has proposed a basket of uh, responses to improve the capability to mitigate accidents that were discussed earlier today. It's become known as the FLEX proposal. And I was wondering if the Japanese industry is considering a, a similar set of responses to improve the ability to uh, mitigate or respond to severe accidents. Thank you. Uh, uh, the Japanese uh, regulatory body has already uh, ordered uh, that such kind of countermeasure should be uh, implemented. That was on March 30th. That was uh, the immediately after the accident. And the next, next step is, uh, first step is to improve, the, to add some of the mobile uh, digital generators and so on and so. And next step is, uh, in, in my memory, is in early June the, to cope with a severe accident. Two steps there, uh, the regulatory body ordered. And the Japanese utility has already finished that. But and after that, in addition to that uh, countermeasure, recently Japanese Japanese utility company uh, the voluntarily uh, decided to to add the uh, the filter vent systems. So in case um, in case of the BWR and PWR also. And also the Japanese utility has uh, decided to to establish a new organizations to to. Uh, as a third party to looking at this, uh, like Impo, to very strong powers as independent, independently, uh, or uh, ask to the utility companies to enhance the safety. Such kind of mechanisms also improve, might be uh, improved, might improve the safety enhancement. And also the Japanese regulatory bodies now is uh, discussing uh, the uh, two the rebuild renewed uh, from coming for the uh, April 1st. That was uh, still under discussion in the diet. The new regulatory body, independent. The, the, all these or the, the uh, implementation is uh, parallel going on. I, I think it's uh, very much improved for the severe accident countermeasure. Japanese guy. Kiyoshi <laughs> Yamauchi, Mitsubishi Nuclear. I'm a, a nuclear plant supplier, but actually working in based in U.S. And uh, I'm quite sad that uh, Fukushima, uh, this was is very popular this year. You know. And uh, this is a comment. I think a Fukushima issue is not necessarily a technology issue, but something like a issue of uh, emergency preparedness or emer emergency management. So I think it's a kind of a credibility issue. 
And I have two comments. One is to the Japan side, like Hattori-san. Uh, in, in his slide, he said that transparency is quite important. And I definitely agree that. And uh, this is quite important. Even the restoration phase, uh, what work will be done in Fukushima? What are now Japanese uh, regulators are working for the new rulemaking? And uh, this kind of activity should be uh, disclosed, transparent. And uh, this is what uh, Japan nuclear is required. Uh, this is quite important. And the second one is I request to U.S. and Japan both sides. You know, we have uh, more than 50 years strong relationship for the nuclear peaceful use. And uh, this moment is something like a challenge to the nuclear relationship. Of course, uh, we are working together for the new build or export. But I think uh, most important is we have to work together for the uh, restoration of Fukushima itself. Like, uh, there are many A companies who like to work there for the decontamination. Such actual work or lessons we learned there is quite important. But also the rulemaking uh, between Japan NISA and the uh, US NRC uh, cooperation is quite important. And uh, I think uh, we should keep our good relationships, and uh, this is a challenge to this, uh, our relationships. So we have to work together how to recover, restore Fukushima event at this moment. I think this is quite important. This is my comment. Well, I, I can comment that, of course, cooperation uh, uh, makes a lot of sense and, and has been going on for a long time. I remember uh, at the time of the T TMI accident, uh, uh, Japanese industry was actually involved in the cleanup there and contributed to to uh, the, the Thornburg Fund. So uh, it, it makes sense to to do that uh, or con to continue to do that. And there's a very close relationship between. Japanese and, and, uh, and American industry. Charles, I noticed in your presentation you said that uh, one of the ways that China has responded to this is looking more on the emergency management mm -hmm. side. Uh, I was curious if you would respond to this comment about whether this is largely sort of a preparedness issue versus a hardware or sort of operations issue. I, I think it's, it's a combination of, of both. I mean, that's my, my take on it, you know, when it is you know, monitoring the news, talking to people. But uh, I, I do agree with, uh, you know, the commenter that this really was really a question of, of management, crisis management. And, uh, and also, Mr. Tori rightly said, just the lack of imagination uh, and making sure, you know, always asking what if, and that goes into safety culture. And I would just uh, also, to piggyback on to what Omar was saying, if we go back to another previous accident in Chernobyl, what came out of that was the World Association of Nuclear Operators, WANO. And so it's a multilateral uh, group that has gone out and you know, inspected, not inspected, but at least monitored. It's an industry-led initiative. You can't replace the regulatory agencies, but at least the industry can establish a standard of excellence and saying, you know, this is what a well-run, very safe plant looks like. And it could give the operators confidential reports showing them how to make improvements. And I would think that uh, Fukushima accident would lead to even greater cooperation internationally. Yeah, thank you, uh, Yamochi-san's comments. I fully agree with your, your comments. There are the most important is how to keep that high level of transparency. I mentioned that uh, we lost, completely lost the, the, the trust or confidence of the general public. 
to recover the, the trust of, or confidence. The most important is how to keep the transparency, not only in Japan, but also the whole world. We, more, we should more transparent. That is transparent, and based on that, the, the reduced information, how to communicate, communication, communication, communication. That is the most important. And also the next point is uh, inter, uh, international cooperation, especially with Japan and U U.S. is very, very important. We very appreciate just after the accident, your the Tomodachi operations, the very helpful, and we are very encouraged the U.S. support. And we, we felt Japan is not alone. We are work together. And your friendship and your support is very, very uh, encouraged Japanese people. Thank you very much. Well, I think we're just at time, and so I'd like to wrap it up here. Um, a couple comments. First, uh, thank you to Madeline Foley and the rest of the Carnegie team on behalf of James Acton for uh, organizing this good. Thanks to my colleagues here for this excellent discussion. Uh, and please read uh, James and Mark's uh, excellent report. Uh, it's, it's really, I think, a, a good technical overview. I, I highly commend it. Thanks again for coming out.